Thank you, Miss Robbins. Good evening, folks. Welcome to the one time of the year we celebrate Valentine's Day here in the church. Welcome to North Gainesville Baptist Church. Let's take all, all take song books and turn to page 74. Page 74, sing the first, second, last verse of page 74. <coughs> about the morning how about tonight <laughs> I'd like to go home tonight amen even so come quickly Lord Jesus <laughs> even so come quickly oh what a great day that's going to be when we get to that eastern gate and uh, get to see the Lord Jesus which has been faith for all these years now it will be sight I hope you got your Valentine's presents everybody everybody got their Valentine's presents if not you can call Brother Jimmy at 352-214, I won't say the rest. <laughs> I'm sure you can call him day or night for all your counseling needs. He'll be glad to help you with any issues about not getting a Valentine's on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that we look forward to heaven, and we long for that day. I pray you just bless the service. Thank you, for, thank you Lord, for those who are faithful to come out to hear your word, to fellowship, to sing. Uh, to share. pray you bless them for their faithfulness. Lord, we just ask we can honor and glorify you and learn more from your word tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Remind just a couple of things. Good to have my mother-in-law and her husband, Daryl, with us tonight from Kentucky, making their way back, going back to West Virginia, Kentucky. But glad to have them with us for a couple of days. Uh, don't forget, men, we will have, by the grace of God, our men's Bible study tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Hope you can join us for that this coming Saturday. We have our visitation program uh, from 10 a.m. to 12. If you'd like to go out with us and invite folks to come, we encourage you to do so. Uh, man, if you haven't signed up, uh, uh, registration, I think, is passed. But if you still like to go, I probably, probably could get you in to our men's retreat, which is hard to believe, next week. Next week, the men's retreat is up in Lake uh, Park, Georgia. Uh, guest speaker, Brother Joe Arthur. I'm looking forward to the good food, the good fellowship. But most of all, the good preaching, it is always a blessing. We were blessed last year, and we're looking for it to again. There's a sign-up sheet there in the back if you'd like to go. Uh, March the 3rd, the Calvary Quartet, I talked to the leader, Brother Terry. They will be with us that Sunday night, not Sunday morning. Uh, they'll be with us Sunday night, not Sunday morning. So they wanted to, he wanted to call make clarification about that, and I'm glad he did. But they'll be with us that, even, that evening, of course, that morning for Sunday school right in here. And for church, Brother Bruce Humbert, who's been here before, uh, evangelist, former pastor. Uh, he'll be with us Sunday morning, Sunday night, then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at 7 o'clock. 
But I hope you join us for that missions conference. We'll be talking a lot more about that. That Sunday after church in the morning service, we will have an international potluck. And basically, bring the food where you're from. Wherever you're from, Venezuela, wherever you're from, Louisiana, uh, the Philippines, wherever you're from, South Carolina, Kentucky, wherever you're from, Chiefland, wherever you're from, bring the food from where you're from. And we will enjoy it. Watermelons, brother. Bring some watermelons. Amen. (laughs) He knows about watermelons. But that will be a blessing, and we are looking forward to that international potluck meal. Of course, uh, the rest of the conference on that next uh, Wednesday, the 6th, we'll have a missionary, the Michael Shaver family, on their way to Iceland. So looking forward to what we're going to have at the old North Gainesville Baptist Church. Brother? Let's take a song books and turn to page 84. Sing the first and last verse, page 84. Getting ready for that meeting up, Yonah. Page 84. <coughs> Oh, yeah. Miss Roman reminded me. Yep, this one's a two-pager. We've got to remember to turn that page, don't we? Don't want y'all to get lost. Or me. can get ready for in the morning when we meet.
All right, all right. Music has stopped. <laughs> Let's go to page 378. 378. Sing the first and last verse of 378, the Haven Rest. Boy, we got our mind on that tonight. Heaven's waiting. I'm safe evermore. Praise God. Brother Jimmy, would you pray for our tithes and offerings? Robin, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. We have gone through the book of Ezra. Now we're in the book of Nehemiah. As I mentioned, we will be going through this book, and then by the grace of God, going on to Ezra. So Ezra and now Nehemiah. I've never preached through Nehemiah, but today we're going to do that. And looking forward to what God is going to teach us. And basically... As we look at these verses, we can learn what it means to go from the ordinary to the extraordinary. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1 says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and, his, and it, as it came to pass in the month of Chislu, in the 20th year, as was in Shushan, the palace, that Hananiah, one of the brethren, came, he and certain men of, of Judah, and, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left in the captivity, concerning Jerusalem. They said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the providence are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem was, also was, is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. 
And it came to pass that when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Gracious Father, we just thank you again for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Help us to glean uh, some words of wisdom, encouragement, challenge from your word tonight from this great man of God that was used, that was just an ordinary man doing an ordinary thing, but was used in extraordinary ways. Help us, Lord, to seek to do the extra, extraordinary in our life for you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this person uh, by the name of Nehemiah, we kind of go and try to figure out some questions. We, as we go into this new book, we all want to ask some questions. Who wrote the book? Of course, interesting enough, as I studied it, I thought, it, I thought maybe at first Nehemiah wouldn't be, but it's actually Ezra wrote the book, and Nehemiah's name means to Jehovah Comforts. He wrote the book somewhere between six, I mean, 424 to 400 B.C., and it's interesting that they believe that Nehemiah received this letter from his brethren around 446 B.C. in the, in the year, 20th year of the reign of Arxerxes. Where was this actually take place? Well, it took place in a place called Sushan. And this might sound familiar because it's actually the same place that we find much of what happens in the book of Esther. This place is located in East Babylon, about 150 miles from the Persian Gulf, if you're kind of familiar with that area. What do we know about this or what, what go, what's going on uh, during this book? Well, if you remember a little bit of the history of what we've already studied back in Ezra, remember there were two men who basically... After 70 years of captivity because of Israel's disobedience and not taking care of the land, not obeying God, we went into all that detail, why they went into captivity, uh, what, was it, what was life like in the captivity. And now out of the yet millions of people in captivity, 50,000 to begin with go back under Zerubbabel and Joshua. No, not the Joshua that we're studying in about on, on Sunday nights, but another Joshua, probably named after the Joshua, the servant of Moses. They return in, in Ezra chapter 1, about 539 B.C. Then after that, and, and during that, and then after that, we see a little bit of glimpse in, in the book of Esther from what is going on and during that time, and Haman's, of course, attempt to eliminate the Jewish race. But then in Ezra chapter 7 through 10, there's an account of the second return in 458 B.C., and then ultimately, Nehemiah chronicles the third return to build a wall around Jerusalem in 445 B.C. So there's three basic returns to the land by the Jewish people, and that's very important to understand. The Persian people, why did, why, why did, why did this actually happen? Uh, why was Nehemiah written as we go into that? Well, basically, as the commentaries that I studied helped me understand as I read these things, that the Persian people... The empire was dominant in the land, and they were very protective of the lands they had defeated, destroyed, and they didn't, they didn't want just anyone going over there and, and uh, rebuilding. Uh, they didn't want any, anybody going over and just and making trouble for them, being rebellious. So they would only use people like, of course, Joshua, Zerubbabel, Ezra, uh, Nehemiah, these people they knew, people they trusted, people who showed themselves worthy to go back and build the wall. So that was kind of the why. We're going to look at two things, two major points this evening. We'll look at the third major point next week by the grace of God. But first of all, of course, the person. The person. Who is this person? Well, we see this person whose name is Nehemiah here, after what the book is, is named after. And he's a great example uh, we've seen, I see 25 different characteristics of this ordinary man who was used in, a, in extraordinary ways. Think about all these characteristics and ask yourself, as I'm reading these characteristics of Nehemiah, what areas do you possess and what areas do you not possess? Maybe make a mental checklist in your mind. In your mind. Well, he was, he was definitely compassionate. We see that. He was a man who prayed. He, there's 11 prayers in this book. He was a man of prayer, and we're going to focus on that beginning next week. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. We see different quotes from the Old Testament and the way he reacted, the principles he took from the Old Testament. He had a definite goal. Uh, he, he, when he wanted something done, he went directly to the person who could do something about it. He had the great dependence on God. He had a great trust in God. He knew what to ask for. 
He sized up the job before he started the work. He knew how to delegate responsibility. What a great importance. He didn't let opposition from those, who, uh, from those outside uh, stop him. He knew how to settle differences among the people. He was in charge of these folks. There were going to be people who had differences of opinion. You know, in, in America, you used, to be, you, know, you, know, you used to be able to have a difference of opinion and not, and not fight about it. It's okay to, to, to agree to disagree. You know that? About some things. Even about things that are totally, if you're totally disagreeing about something, it's okay. But you don't have to get angry. Nowadays, people disagree about it, especially, I think, because of social media. They want to get mad, get upset, start calling people's, people's names, get upset, frustrated. And the reason why they do that, because they're not standing in front of the person, they can do what they want. They can say what they want. That's a little bit different how it used to be. People used to know how to get along even when they disagreed. That's called marriage 101, right? Uh, if you're going to disagree with your wife, you're going to disagree with your husband about it sometimes, but just because you disagree with somebody don't mean to get divorced, I hope. Then divorce court go crazy. Well, I hope. Well, he knew how to delegate responsibility. He knew how to settle difference among people. He was, a, he was an example of his own message. He was a man of keen discernment. He didn't let personal criticism stop him. He did not excuse wrongdoing regardless of who did it. He had a respect for authority. He gave God the credit for his accomplishments. He put the emphasis on the spiritual life. Uh, he required a higher standard for those in spiritual leadership. He refused to accommodate sin even when sinful behavior had become culturally acceptable. He took his personal distress and hurt to God. He was willing to suffer the injustice for the sake of the work of God. He stayed focused on the goal and did not succumb to the dangers, the risks, the obstacles, the hardships that stood in the way. He had moral strength, courage, when everybody else around him didn't, and he didn't give up when everybody else wanted to give, or give up. That's a lot of good things, isn't it? Man, <laughs> if I, I had to say, man, if I had half those things, that'd be good. I have a list of 25. You know what it does? It's an ordinary person who did extraordinary things. You know what it does? It, it, causes, it, it leaves us without excuse. Every one of us shot up, but should have those type of characteristics in our lives. Starts with an A. Abraham, good job, good job. Hey, he, he was just a pagan living in, pagan, in a pagan place with pagan people, worshiping, worshiping a pagan God, and God caught him out of that, and by faith he trusted God. Went down to the land of Canaan and, and is called, now called the father of our faith. How about a murderer? An educated murderer living in the desert who became one of the greatest leaders of all time, which is... Moses, Moses. See, he, he, he was a very educated man, and he saw what was, going on with his, what, what was going on with his people. He realized it was wrong, but he tried to do it in the strength of the flesh. And any time you try to do things in the strength of the flesh, you know what's going to happen? You're going to fail. Instead of, instead of trusting God, he tried to take things in his own hands. He murdered a person. And then he had, for 40 years, he had to go on the backside of the, de of the desert, and he had to tend sheep to learn how to take care of a few million Jews, one of the greatest leaders ever to ever live. How about a, a Moabitess widow woman following her mother-in-law home to be a mother of kings and the king? Who's that? Ruth. Ordinary lady. Imagine her situation. Father-in-law dies, brother-in-law dies, other, bro other brother-in-law dies, other brother-in-law, her, her husband dies, and, and now she's stuck. And, and, and now she's in a land, and here she is, you know, Married to these Jewish people, they're, they're, all, her, her life has changed, everything's changed, and she decides to go back to Bethlehem, to this foreign, foreign land with Naomi. How about a beautiful queen who could have had anything in the world, but was willing to sacrifice everything to save her people? Who's that? Esther, yeah. She could have had everything. But as, as Mordecai said, you were created for such a time as this. Oh, you could live in luxury. But your people, your people are going to be destroyed. Our people are going to be destroyed. How about a poor, loudmouth fisherman who went to be a great preacher and leader of the church? Who's that? Peter, right. Oh, oh Peter, he was just a fisherman. And, and what God do, you know, he took that loudmouth who always, you know, said the wrong things at the wrong time and made it one of the greatest preachers of all time. 
See, what your, your greatest gift is always your greatest liability. God took his greatest, greatest liability, which was his mouth, and used, sanctified that mouth and made it as a mouthpiece for God. Oh, how God can change a person. How about a proud Pharisee to the humblest man you could ever meet who pinned down much of the New Testament? Paul, right? Paul. What was Nehemiah? He was a cupbearer. He was a cupbearer. A cupbearer was important. Why was a cupbearer important? Because everybody and their brother, and a lot of times their brother, literally their brother, was trying to kill the king. So these were people were very important because they could be bought off. <laughs> they had to be loyal. They had to be trustworthy. They had to be willing to drink the poison, literally. They'd be willing to try, be willing to be loyal to their king. And do what's right. I heard it said by a missionary, a missionary to that you know you have to be faithful and trust God to where you're at. We used to support years for years and years this missionary, and if you looked at this missionary, you would think to yourself, well, he's not going to do much for God. Just an ordinary man, ordinary wife, two ordinary kids, but they were missionaries of Prince Edward Island, and God used them to start a church, maintain the church. And before they retired, they saw another couple come in and take the church, and the church is still around as far as I know today. But if, you, if, they, came, if they came walking in this door, you would thought, you'd think, well, they're just ordinary people. Yeah, they were ordinary, but God used them in extraordinary ways. You know what? God wants to use our faithfulness. God wants to use our availability. God wants to use our talents, our gifts, our passion, our love for him and love for others and, be, and make it extraordinary. And it may not be even in our lifetime. It may not be what we do for God, but it may be what our children do for God or those who we pour into their lives, what they do for God. You're, I mean, how, how many of us know a whole lot about the parents of Adoniram Judson? Don't know a whole lot about him. I know he was a preacher. Don't know a whole lot about him. He was, he was America's, as far as I know, first missionary. We don't know a whole lot about Amram and Jochebed, but without Amram and Jochebed taking care of their son, we wouldn't have had Moses. Now, think about the lives that people poured in. Maybe they weren't used in a great way, but by spending time with their kids or influencing someone else, they were able to see someone else be extraordinary. God is will, wanting to see folks be faithful to him. Be faithful. We read in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and should stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. Sad thing, he says, but I found none. But I found none. But Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, my favorite verses, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, hear him, I send me. May that be our attitude when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, directs us. May we not be like Moses in the very beginning. Oh, I got this excuse. I got that excuse. I can't. I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't know enough. I know, I, I, I know, I know too much. May we not use excuses, but simply say, here am I, send me. I love the scripture in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 37. He saith to the disciples, the, the harvest is truly plenteous, but the labors are a few. Pray ye therefore to the Lord of the harvest that, we will send, that he will send forth labors in the harvest. And that's our obligation. That's our responsibility. We need to be praying for more labors, don't we? More labors, more labors. There's, hey, uh, there's a, there's a, the field is wide in the harvest. There's lands out there. That maybe the people in, 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 the, in the North America or South America, maybe there's, maybe there's people who've heard and, and, and heard again, but there's places in the world today that have never heard the gospel one time. Never heard the gospel one time. We need to be reaching those folks and those people groups with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But who does God call? Does he, does he call uh, the just anybody? No, the Bible specifically talks about who he calls. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. 
And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The base things of the world, the things which are despised. God has chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring not to not the things that are. Why? Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. That no flesh should glory in his presence. That's why. Because, dear friend, if we glory in his presence, it's all about us. And it's not about us. It's all about him. God just chooses to use us as vessels. Oh, 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 crack pots. <laughs> just clay pots. He chooses to use us for his glory. And praise God he does. But you know what? We have to be willing. Proud person says, no, I can never. never. It'd be beneath me to go to a foreign field. It'd be beneath me to do that. A guy who, who, who maybe uh, is too, too rich can, no, I wouldn't go out and help the poor. No, God often doesn't call those type of folks. He can if they'll humble themselves. He'll love themselves. What type of people does God use? He use, uses people who go, are willing to go from the ordinary to the extraordinary. I read about Theodore Roosevelt, the 26th president. One person came up to him and said, Mr. Roosevelt, you're a great man. With characteristic honesty, he decided, no. Teddy Roosevelt is simply a plain, ordinary man who is highly motivated. Who's highly motivated. You know what? We all need to be motivated for God, don't we? Motivated to do the right thing. We are oftentimes just plain, ordinary, but God can use the plain and ordinary. So we see this plain, ordinary man who did extraordinary things, but not only do we see the, the person, secondly, we see the problem in verse 3. What's the problem? Look at it again. They said unto me, as he asked about how things were going back in Jerusalem, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. And how did he respond? Well, because of the enemies of God and the lethargy and fear of God's people, the walls were broken down. Even after all the works of Joshua and Zerubbabel, even after all the work and prayer and, and, and participation that we see under Ezra and the great revival and the great work, the job was not finished. The job was not finished. You know what? This breaks his heart. This man who never been to Jerusalem, never been born, never, never born in Jerusalem, never seen Jerusalem, yet he loved his people, and he knew that Jerusalem was the center of, of, God's, of God's people, and where they were going to live and where they're going to worship. He was brokenhearted. You know you can tell a lot about a person, but what breaks their heart? Sometimes a football game breaks somebody's heart. Or a basketball game. Start market, stock market collapse. People are jumping from buildings. Lose a, kids uh, kids lose, a, lose a soccer game. Soccer mom goes crazy. Attacking, attacking the refs. I, I, I've, seen, I've seen some, some quote-unquote spiritual folks attack the refs too when I coach football. <laughs> I said, man, this is just a flag football game. We're not at the Super Bowl, guys. <laughs> This is just a flag football game. It's not, it's, not, it's not worth ruining your reputation over a flag football game. It's, it's going to be all right. But you can tell a lot about a person about what breaks their heart. You don't, you don't get recognized at, at, the, at the reception or something. No. What broke Nehemiah's heart was his place lived in, his, his homeland was in ruins. What's a, what's a response of people who, who have a broken heart? Let me give you that. First of all, it's contemplation. It's contemplation. I sat down. I sat down. He, he thought about it. He, he, didn't just, he, he didn't just hear the words. He contemplated them. Do you ever, you know, sometimes uh, we just, we just words go past us and we don't even think what people are saying. We, we, people just say stuff and we don't even think about what people say. I mean, that's why it's important not just to, not just to hear, but to listen. But to listen. What are people, what are, what are you saying? That's why Jesus often says, he that has ears, let him hear. We have ears, but we, do we actually hear what we're saying? Because you know, do you actually, what we hear we're responsible for? Even if you don't actually hear it? If you're here tonight, 
under the sound of my voice, and you're watching this, we're responsible for what we, not just we know something's, we can hear something, but do we understand and we take it to heart? He contemplated the, this news. It was serious to him. It mattered to him. It affected him. He contemplated. He sat down. It changed him. He didn't just go about his business. When's the last time you contemplated something? Some, some news that you heard. Some problem that you heard. You didn't just pass it off and say, well, that's just another situation. That's just another problem. How easy it is for us to just get to the place where we hear bad news and say, well, it's just a, another person who died or another person who got divorced or another family whose life is destroyed or another person who has cancer or another person who was an accident. It's just we see because of this information age, we hear so much stuff. It's easy to get cold and hard about things that really should matter to us. It seems like it really doesn't even matter until it's us whose son just died. It's us who just got that phone call from that doctor who said, hey, I need to call you. I need to talk to you. You got something going on. When it happens to us, then it's, oh, my soul, it's me, it's me. Then it's actually real. And they say, I thought it could never happen to me. Oh, it happens to so-and-so, the guy who sits behind you in church, the person you shake their hand over there. But now it's me. Oh, now we contemplate. But isn't the second commandment that we should love our neighbor as ourselves? Isn't the part of church that if it happens to you, it should bother and concern me? That's when if you lose your job or you lose a loved one, it should affect me, shouldn't it? I mean, we, we're a family, right? We're a church, right? And that's what we do. We care for one another, love one another. And that should be more than just a mantra. It should be a way of life. Do you show that? Do you show that by your actions and your attitude? That you show care towards one another? Do people, do people around you know that you care? Do they see that? Secondly, not only that, second, it leads right into compassion. He sat down and wept. Wasn't just contemplating. He didn't just think about what happened. He sat down and wept. He had compassion. He cared. I read that the World Monitor reported some time ago that preschool teachers, administrators, and child development specialists say the most important thing for a child to learn is self-reliance. Seven times more educators say that children should learn self-reliance, self-confidence, and sympathy and concern for others. The solution to the average educator would be to go out in the street and tell Humpty Dumpty, who just failed, to put himself together. I can't believe you fell off that wild. Now believe in yourself, man, and put yourself together. Be self-reliant. The rhyme would go with something like this. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the humanist scholars and professors told Humpty Dumpty to get over it and get ready to get, be okay again. <laughs> Just get over it, man. Pick yourself up by the boots. Be self-reliant. <laughs> tell, that, tell that somebody who just lost their child. Just get over it. Just pick yourself up. Just get better. Things will be okay. Not, not easy to do, is it? Not easy to do. Oh, just believe in yourself. Have faith in yourself. No. No. Do we have sympathy? Do we have empathy? Do we, do we, do we cry? Let's, when's the last time we shared a tear for somebody who was really going through some trouble? I think sometimes we see so much heartache and pain and suffering, we just get cold, don't we? Get cold and we get callous to the problems and troubles of other people. But when, when's the last time you seriously sat down and wept and cried and showed that you cared because somebody else was going through problems. I can tell you, folks, people even here in our, in our church, they have, there's a lot of broken things. A lot of broken things. Broken hearts. Broken marriages. Broken feelings. A lot of broken things. And it's easy just to walk in and say, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? than to stop and say, no, really, how are you doing? Nehemiah cried. 
Thirdly, there was concern. There was concern. I sat down and wept and mourned for a certain day. The word mourn here in the Hebrew literally means to mourn, like to mourn for the dead. Like to, to mourn like someone just died. It's a deep, more sorrowful mourning. It doesn't something, it's just not something that just passes away. It's, something, it's not something you just say, well, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstrap and let's go get them tomorrow. No, it lingers on. It lingers on. In fact, from the text, he spent four months in the state. From December, which is Chislev, until April, which is Nisan. Four months, Nehemiah's weeping as he's in deep mourning for what happened. E.M. Bounds was quoted to say, How few men of these days who can, who can weep at the evils and abominations of the times. How rare are those who sufficiently interested and concerned for the welfare of the church to mourn. Mourning and weeping over the decay of religion, the decline of revival power, and the fearful inroads of worldliness into the church are almost an unknown quality. How true it is. How true it is. Number four is concentration. Concentration. He sat down and wept and mourned for certain days and fasted. Now he's getting serious. Hey, you start taking food away. It's getting serious now. He was so mournful that he didn't even feel like eating. He lost his appetite. Because he, he wasn't simply wanting to focus his attention on... To, to, focus, to be disciplined for to discipline his body, he cared, and because he cared so much, he couldn't even eat. When's the last time we were so sorrowful? Something happened so so so, so difficult that you lost your appetite. You couldn't even eat. And finally, there's communion, communion, and prayed before the God of heaven. A lot of different words for, for, for prayer. But this Hebrew word involves pleading, implies emotion, lamenting before God, and deep desperation knowing that you must hear from God. If you read the Psalms, what you will, what you will see is a whole lot of laments. That is a mournful cry from the heart of a person who's in pain. David does that a lot. Imagine being... Chased like a dog by your father-in-law for years. Living in caves. I saw some of those caves that David was in. I wouldn't want to live in them. I wouldn't want to live in some of those caves that I, that I saw in the Getty. I wouldn't want to be in those, some of those spots. I wouldn't want to run around that, that, that desert area that is dry and hot during the day but cold at night. Summertime, it's, it's so hot and it's, and it's cold, cold winters. I wouldn't, have been, I wouldn't have wanted to be chased like a dog. No wonder he was in lament. No wonder he cried out when his own son Absalom tried to kill him. No wonder he cried out when he was killed. The pain, the lament, the, 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 the struggle that he had just to communicate. We see those in the Psalms. And, you know, that should be our heart. Sometimes it is good for us to lament. Sometimes it is good for us to cry out in pain and sorrow. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. It's what we should do when, we're, when we go through trouble, is to cry out. Didn't even Jesus cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do we weep? Do we show concern? Do we have, do we have is, there, is there a communion? Is there a prayer? John Knox, a Scottish reformer, preacher, leader, used to weep in the royal gardens of Bloody Mary, the Queen of Scotland. It is said that more than anything, Bloody Mary hated and feared the prayers of John Knox. And you know what he would pray? He would pray in that garden of hers, Oh God, give me Scotland or I die. Give me Scotland or I die. Nehemiah basically was saying the same thing. God, give me Jerusalem. Give me Jerusalem or I die. Oh, here, 
Why would this person who was 800 miles away, who never, ever been there, never seen the place, why would he do that? Because he knew how important Jerusalem was. And he was willing to do something about it. He was burdened for the glory of God to shine on Jerusalem and for the people of God to be restored to honor and to worship their true and, and living king. I'll give you two questions as we close tonight. Number one, what is in your life that lies in ruins today? What lies in ruins? A broken relationship, a broken promise, a broken goal, a broken heart. What lies in ruins? And are you willing to repair it? Are you, willing, are you just going to let it lie there? Oh, there's a broken relationship between you and your brother. I just let it lie there. Oh, there's a broken relationship between you and your friend. No, dear friend, have you done everything you can? The Bible tells us to seek peace and pursue it. To do everything we can. To make peace with everyone. Now, some people, they don't, you know, they don't reciprocate that, and you can only go so far. But do everything you can on your part to make amends with that person. Do everything you can to make amends. That you can say, by the end of, at the end, I tried to have a clear conscience and try to do right. I just talked to a guy that lived in Turkey Creek the other day, Brother Jimmy. And this guy had a neighbor, and the neighbor got upset and angry about something, and they started quarreling about something and just, you know, went back and forth and quarreling, quarreling about something and just arguing about something. And that went on. And the guy told me, you know what? I knew it was wrong. And I went over there to, to, to try to make peace with the guy. And as soon as I went over to make peace with the guy, I wanted to try to make it right with the guy. The guy said, get off my lawn. Well, he said, I tried. I said, man, you tried. Tried. How, do we even make attempts with other people? We just say, well, that's just another person. No, people matter, folks. People matter. Secondly, what will be your legacy after you're gone? What will be your legacy after you're gone? I know of two people who recently died. One was a preschool teacher, Christian lady. My son was in her preschool class. They said at her funeral it lasted two and a half hours. And most of that two and a half hours were people who got up who talked about how this lady inspired them, challenged them, helped them, was there for them, loved them in a church service. Two and a half hours. The other person died, made a profession of faith at six years old, but his Service is not going to be in a service at all. It's just going to be in a house with a few friends, a few family, some drinking, some reminiscing. How different it is. How different it is. What will be our legacy? Oh, man, they showed up at church once in a while. Praise God. What are we going to leave? What are we going to leave this world? What's going, to, what's, what's going to be said? What do we do to glorify God in our life, through our talents, through our abilities, through our skills? What will be left in this world because we lived? Are you, are you, are you happy right now? If, you're, if the day was your last day, if this, was, if this was it, would you be happy with the legacy that you leave today? If this was it today, if it was it today, if it was all over today, if you didn't go past the day, would you say, that was my legacy, I'm good with it? Or would you say, I need to do some more? Some things I need, there's some things I need to do more. Some, some areas I need to, to change and, and, and be better at. I, I want to leave some things with my kids or grandkids or maybe some of your great-grandkids. There's some things I want to do, some things I want to say, some things that need to be done. Hey, dear friend, don't say tomorrow, tomorrow. No, today. Do them today. Put a plan together. Nehemiah had a plan. We're going to see how God used Nehemiah, this ordinary man, in an extraordinary way because he wanted to leave a legacy. Walls rebuilt for the glory of God. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you for taking us, just ordinary people, and you're willing to use us in an extraordinary way. 
Oh God, help us. I hope tonight there's been a time in your life where you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That you know, that you know Jesus. If you're not, I'd, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about your salvation. If you're not sure if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. But I know most of us in this room are Christians. And could I ask a question again? What lies and ruins in your life today? And secondly, what will be your legacy after you're gone? Maybe today, his head bowed and eyes closed, maybe the Holy Spirit spoke to you about a certain of your area, a certain area in your life that, that lies in ruins, maybe a relationship, maybe a, a promise, maybe, maybe a responsibility you're supposed to do. Something is, is unfinished in your life, and by the grace of God, say, preacher, something unfinished in my life, something that needs to be done, and I'm praying today that God would help me to do it. Would you pray for me that I actually accomplish what I know God wants me to do? Would you pray for me that I do that? Would you raise your hand? I could pray for you. Anybody at all? Amen. Praise the Lord. Someone you want to see get saved. Amen. Someone you want to tell them about Jesus. Someone you need to encourage. Someone you want to help. Someone you need, something you need to do. Something you need to say. Maybe tonight there's, you're concerned about what's going, to, what's going to be after you. The legacy that God has for you. Maybe you need to do something for, about that. Maybe you need to do more. Leave more. Help more. Life is a vapor. If you're fear for a little time and vanish of the way, what are we going to do with this thing we call life? Are you, are you content with where you are tonight? Maybe you say, preacher, I'm not content with the legacy I would leave if I left, if I left tonight. I need to do more for Jesus. I need, to, I need to do more for my family. I need to do more. Would you pray that God would help me to do that? Anybody like that tonight? Father, we thank you for your goodness. As the a, as a piano plays, as God has spoken to your heart, the altar is open this evening. Let's stand to our feet. If you'd like just to come and ask God to help you, do those things that you need to do to finish that dream, to talk to that person. Whatever it is that you know the Lord wants you to do, would you say, Lord, help me to do it today? Altar's open tonight. Maybe you just need to come and pray and ask God, help me. I got, I got someone I know who needs the gospel. I know someone needs to be saved. I know God wants to use me. Are you willing to do it? Not just think about it, not just say it, but actually complete the task. What is the legacy that God wants you to leave? Are you willing to do His will? Father, thank you again for tonight. Thank you for your wonderful word. Thank you from this, this great example of Nehemiah, how you used him, how you broke him over the condition, the circumstances that was in Jerusalem, and how you used him in such a mighty way. Oh, God, I pray you'd use us. Help us to be flexible. Help us to be moldable and teachable. Show us, oh, dear God, through thy word and through thy spirit, what we can do for you. Oh God, help us not to be consumed with ourselves and our feelings and, and difficulties or struggles, but God, help us to be consumed with you and make no excuse. Help us to do all thy will 